Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Well, good morning, church. You're right. That does sound great. (laughs) Praise the Lord this morning. Praise God. I am entirely and completely overwhelmed this morning. I am going to endeavor to not get too emotional as we share from the Word of God today. I love the Lord. I am so very grateful that on August the 25th of 2006 at 6.59 p.m., He reached down further than I could ever reach up, and He saved my soul. And I'm eternally grateful for that. I rejoice in that. Our subject today is going to be on the subject of trusting in the Lord. I'm always... uh, When I have an opportunity to share in a new environment, I really do want to go through a lot of acknowledgments and acknowledge the ministry leaders in the room that have uh, poured their lives into me, the members of congregations uh, that we have come together with that have been an impact upon my life. I I definitely want to uh, get to the Word of God, but I am just entirely appreciative of what we have had the opportunity to experience here these last few days, the opportunity that we have to come together and worship, just the clear spirit of God that is present here in our midst. I'm so grateful for Pastor Charlie and his uh, faithful work and service to the Lord and for his church family here at Graffiti. Trusting in the Lord. Pastor Charlie, the night that we got here, he came and visited us with us where we were staying, and he shared a few things about what was happening around the church and the things that had been taking place. We all know this time of COVID has thrown this big monkey wrench into our situations uh, and our ministries and our endeavors to step forward in the name of Jesus Christ. And he was talking about some ministries that were getting ready to get restarted, the celebrate recovery that was moving forward and the food pantry and all those things. I just want to commend you for your faithful service and for reaching out into your Jerusalem right here as we continue to seek to reach out into ours and We know that in our uh, ministry situations, we have all had times in our churches, I think it was eight or nine churches that have come together here, we have all had situations where we have encountered these curiosities, these impediments, these things that have just stood in our way, especially in these last couple of years as we were trying to reach out in the name of Jesus Christ, as we were trying to tell other people how awesome Jesus Christ is, the impact that he has made in our lives, and to answer that call that he has placed upon all of the redeemed deemed of God to go and to make disciples, to tell other people about how awesome Jesus is. You know, I was remembering a mission trip, and always when you're on a mission trip, you're often nostalgic about other mission trips that you have taken. And a few years ago, I was with a team in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and we were out there, and I'm from the Northeast. I grew up right outside of West Philly. We'll all sing the Fresh Prince song later. <laughs> I grew up right outside of West Philly, so I had this attitude when I landed down in North Carolina and I came to the saving knowledge of Christ and I'm living in Western North Carolina, I had this attitude that we're going up to Carlisle and these people ain't going to want nothing of what we got. I know how I was. I know how rebellious I was and how rejecting I was of the gospel. But we went up there and the Lord straightened me out. We're in Carlisle and we're having soccer club, backyard Bible club and, and outreach. And they started, all these kids started coming. And during the breaks in between the soccer games, we're sharing devotions. Kids are getting saved. 
families are coming and watching and families are getting saved. By the end of the week, I've been beaten down so low from my negative attitude about even coming up there. The Lord just straightened me out. So we plan another trip to Carlisle, Pennsylvania the next year, and I'm ready to roll now. I'm excited. We're getting ready to go up there, and we've got all our stuff and all our goals and all our balls, and we head up. I wasn't with the team, but the team went up there, and it rained like 40 days and 40 nights kind of rain. <laughs> all week long. The actual soccer field that they were supposed to have this whole thing planned out on had like four feet. I mean, it wasn't just like a rain. Four feet of water on this soccer field. You ever have those times where you are serving God and you're taking steps forward in your faith journey? You're trying to do what the Lord you believe is laid on your heart. And then something happens and you're just kind of like, what? <laughs> where we're scratching our head as we're trying to step forward in our trust of the Lord in following the Lord. Sometimes we might tell ourselves that familiar scripture from Proverbs 3 or a well-meaning person will come along in that moment and say, hey man, I know this, this roadblock came up, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. But sometimes, if we're honest, it's hard. Sometimes it's a challenge. We're going to look at an example from the prophet Jeremiah where this guy who served God for years under very difficult conditions, for decades in fact, how he came up against some impediments, and while he continued to trust in the Lord, he also was willing to acknowledge that sometimes it's tough when we just don't understand, when we just don't see all of the big picture. So I want to remind you of these verses from Jeremiah 32, verses 16 and 17. We're going to look at several verses here. I'll probably more talk about them than I will read them to you. I won't try to read uh, too much scripture. But as we consider these verses, uh, I want to address this need that we all have to trust in the Lord when we just don't really see all the pieces. When we just don't quite understand everything that's in front of us. Scripture says in Jeremiah 32 and 16, Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying... So this is the prophet in prayer. And this is the beginning of his prayer right here. Ah, Lord God, behold. So here's where he starts. He starts by worshiping God, ascribing worth to Him. You have made heaven and the earth by your great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. That's a good place to start when we don't understand. So we consider this prophet, and I need to, uh, I was talking to some of my brothers about sharing context uh, over the course of this week, and we've got to share a little bit of what's going on here, where we are within the Bible. Of course, this is the prophet Jeremiah, and we're in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on, but there's this constant, ongoing God interacting with his chosen people, the Israelites. And from that, we learn a lot about God, and we learn a lot about how we interact with God. And as he is interacting with his chosen people, the Israelites, God had a plan that he was going to work out through his people. This is overarching picture throughout the whole scripture. That plan for redemption, ultimately, through the person of Jesus Christ. So wherever we are in the Bible, we see that plan that is unfolding. 
And as we come here in this place of the New Testament, we come to a time where this God that's interacting with his people, the Israelites, he had given them some instructions. And basically it's all summed up in this one thing. Trust me. Trust me as you're facing the things that you face. Trust me as I give you directions. Trust me even when you don't understand. Well, like we do, these people in this time in the Scripture, they struggled to trust in the Lord. As a matter of fact, God said, trust me to rule over you. Trust me that I will be your king. Sometimes they didn't trust the Lord because they didn't understand. Sometimes they didn't trust the Lord because they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. And they put up a king over their own selves. And that really didn't work out very well for the Israelites. As they tried to, to uh, mold God into their image and do things their own way, they set up a king over themselves, and this kingdom began to really have some struggles. The kingdom had division within this kingdom. And that ultimately, this earthly kingdom that God had given his people, the Israelites, was about to be taken away. And that's where we find ourselves in the scripture right here. The prophet Jeremiah, when he is speaking here, it is during the reign of the last king, King Zedekiah, in what we call the southern kingdom of Israel. So now let me take you up to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah, this prophet that has been called to proclaim the name of the Lord. And he'd been doing this faithfully for years and years and years. He was somebody who trusted in the Lord and lived a life that indicated that he trusted in the Lord. But now, everything has changed. The message that he had initially been called to preach was turn back to God and God said, I will repent of this evil of judging you for not trusting in me. Turn back to God. And God said, I'll receive you. Everything's going to be okay. But eventually, because the people would not turn back to God, because they would not trust in the Lord, God changes his message through the prophet. He's going to bring about this kind of corrective judgment upon the people. And that's where we find ourselves. Now, Jeremiah begins to proclaim this message, and he starts becoming kind of unpopular. They really didn't want to hear God's going to straighten you out kind of preaching. That God is going to judge sin. That God is going to deal with rebellion. And as they begin to hear this, this King Zedekiah puts Jeremiah the prophet in the court of the prison. So where we are in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah is in prison. And he's in prison because he was proclaiming the truth of God's word. At this time, the Babylonians were going to come and they've surrounded Jerusalem. And God is delivering his word through the prophet. Look, you just need to kind of give in to this because there's this corrective judgment that is now upon you. Jeremiah's proclaiming this. He's in the court of the prison. And then something really weird happens in chapter 32. I'll just say it plain. It's really weird. He's in the court of the prison, and the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. Okay, so we got the word of God. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet, and the word of the Lord is this. Your cousin, so he's in, he's in jail. You would think there would be some different type of message that would come here. He said, your cousin is going to come to you and say, hey, buy this field in Anathoth. Now, we're in Jerusalem. 
Surrounding the city of Jerusalem is the Babylonian army, ready to bring the wrath and the judgment of God in this corrective sense against these people who have not trusted in the Lord. Your cousin's going to come and tell you to buy this field in Anathoth. Well, this field in Anathoth is an enemy-held territory in this area where the mighty Babylonian army is. Buy this field. And Jeremiah, because he trusts in the Lord, he goes through with it. The cousin comes to the court of the prison. He tells him to buy this field. Jeremiah says, I will buy this field. And he purchases the field. Just a strange occurrence to happen in this moment. Buy a field. You could tell me to do all kinds of things, proclaim all kinds of things, but you told me to buy a field. I, I really don't understand. Now, he trusts God. He buys the field. But then he turns to the Lord in prayer. And what we find in this prayer is that it is sometimes a challenge to trust the Lord when we don't understand. If you look down in verse 25 of Jeremiah 32, we see at the end of Jeremiah's prayer, so he's expressing all of this different type of trust, and we're going to get into that in the message here. But in verse 25, he says, And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for thy money, and take thee witnesses. Make sure that you buy this field. And I've heard you, God, and then he says, for the city is given into the hand of the Babylonians. So Jeremiah is acknowledging that it really just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to buy this field in enemy-held territory. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. The fact that in those difficulties of trusting God, we need help. And our responsibility in that time is indeed to turn to the Lord. How do we turn to the Lord? Largely through prayer. We'll take a little time to look at this prayer this morning as the prophet offers us insight in the process of admitting the struggle that we have, because we don't always want to do that, do we? Man, I trust God. What do you mean we struggle to trust God? I trust the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. I can rattle off all the details of how I trust God. The reality is, is that we all, if a guy like Jeremiah who prophesied for 40 years under duress constantly was, was dealing with this trust issue, we're probably going to deal with it also at times. So we see him admit this struggle. You told me to buy this field, and it's in enemy-held territory. But also how he expressed that trust through prayer. You know, one of the reasons that prayer changes things is because it changes us. Yes. It changes our perspective. It centers us on the Lord. Not on our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own way of looking at things, but on His ways and His thoughts that are so much higher than ours. So the first part of the process is that we need to remember God's plans. Remembering God's plans. That's actually the planning for the church here, I think. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. As we remember God's plans, I want to remind you again of the text that we have read and back up to verse 15 in chapter 32. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and vineyards and fields shall be possessed again in this land. So, here's where we are. I love this. He's in prison by this field. 
He gets the word of the Lord first, and then his cousin actually comes, and he purchases the field. There is all of this detail that is given about how the purchase is ratified. It was signed. It was on documents. It was put in earthen clays. It was given seals. There were witnesses. The payment for the field was, was measured in silver and a balance. There was all this, like, make really sure that there is not going to be any contest against the fact that you have bought this field. Why? Because God has some plans. He had some plans for this investment. He had some plans for what he was instructing his people to do. And you see that reflected in verse 15. For thus saith the Lord of hosts. I love thus saith the Lord in the Bible. You know what that means? That means that God said it. And that's it. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. As if it wasn't emphasized enough, it's Jehovah Sabaoth, God the manifestation of power. God, the manifestation of power, has said that houses and fields and vineyards shall be again possessed in this land. Now, God, I don't really see how you're going to pull this off because I'm in prison. We're about to get whooped by Babylon, and there is way more of them than there are of us. This is the dominant world power in that time. But what he does in this prayer is he begins by remembering God's plan. Because on the heels of that, in verse 16, it says, Now when I delivered the evidence of that purchase, that really ratified purchase, unto Baruch the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying. So the foundation of this prayer is, Thus saith the Lord. I'm going to remember what God has told me. Now one thing that's important, when we express trust in the Lord, it is more than words. We see this in the prophet because he not only trusts in the Lord through what he says in his prayer, he has already expressed trust in the Lord through the action of buying the land. All of the purchase that has taken place, all of the ratification of that purchase, he has expressed his trust in the Lord. Still didn't make sense. <laughs> you know, there's always some stuff that God has told us and there's stuff that God hasn't told us. The secret things belong unto God, but those things that are revealed belong unto us. Some things that we know and some things that we don't know. You know what we often are tempted to get focused in on? The stuff that we don't know. The mysteries. Those things that are over the horizon and around the corner that we just can't see and we wish we had longer necks and that we had tunnel vision and, and, and all that stuff to be able to see all of what God is doing. You know, if we were able to see all of what God is doing, we would be God. And we're not God, which is why we need to trust in Him. But we said it was hard because i got to buy this field in enemy territory and I don't really understand why this field in Carlisle, Pennsylvania flooded when we spent money to send a team up there to do this work in this spot and the field flooded. I don't really get all that. It's okay. It's all right. So it requires work. We need to be the word that we use in our day and time now is intentional, intentionality. It requires being intentional to remember those plans of God that he has made clear to us when we're down in the muck and the mire of the world. When we're dealing with challenges and difficulties and impediments, it requires effort. It requires work because we're always going to be tempted to be focused on the mysteries. It's always tempting that. So when we're uncertain, I want to give you a couple things regarding God's plans. 
talking about God's plans here. A couple of things when we're uncertain. First thing is, is that God doesn't exist to give us what we want. Sorry. <laughs> he, he does not exist to give us what we want. Because I tell you what I wanted when that field was flooded in Carlisle. I wanted the, the waters to part and the sun to come out. and That's what I wanted. And as a matter of fact, God tells us to watch out for this. And we see this throughout this, this section of Jeremiah. Because there's something that happens in this time. There's some false prophets that start getting, raising themselves up in this time. There's some false prophets that say, you know what? It's not going to be 70 years before you're given an opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. It's just going to be a couple years and everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. It's no big deal. A few different times in the chapters preceding Jeremiah 32, you have this, this false prophet pressure coming up. Yet God doesn't exist to give us what we want or to do things the way that we want Him to do? Because let me ask you this question, and I'll ask myself at the same exact time, is what I want always the best thing for me? Oh, man. How often, how tempting it is to run around and be driven by our own wants and our own desires. Even when we know to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge Him and He will direct our paths. Sometimes I just want to direct my own paths. I want to do what I want to do. And then sometimes I'll try to go around, and we were talking about this earlier, and shop for answers trying to find somebody who will agree with me and tell me it's okay. Another thing I'll tell you about when we're uncertain facing God's plans is that God loves us consistently, okay? So this isn't God bringing down wrath and judgment and vengeance upon His people. He loves His people. As a matter of fact, God so loved the world that He sent His Son into this world. The clearest expression of the everlasting love of God that has ever been expressed. Our Savior laying down His life on the cross of Calvary to pay for your sins, for my sins, and for the sins of the world. God loves us consistently. This is actually something that Jeremiah reminds himself and the people that are hearing His proclaiming just before this in Jeremiah 32. In Jeremiah 31, I'll just read it to you in verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee, it says, with an everlasting love. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that God's love isn't temporary. I'm so glad that God's love isn't only when I'm doing things that, that are pleasing in His sight. I'm so glad that God's love is, is just totally consistent from all of eternity. That it's not dependent upon what I do. Mm. But it's dependent upon who He is and what He has promised. So God loves these people consistently. And we also need to remember that God's plans are good. They're good. 
Jeremiah 32 or 29, excuse me, you all know these verses, for thus saith the Lord. We're talking about this time that this temporary judgment, this corrective judgment is coming upon the people of God. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. Remember, this is thus saith the Lord. So it's going to happen. After 70 years, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place, speaking of Jerusalem. For I know the thoughts or the plans that I think to Lord, you saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end, to give you a hope for the future. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So this temporary time for these people is about a corrective judgment to turn the people back to God. Why? Because God has loved us with an everlasting love. Knowing all this stuff, we're still in Jeremiah 32. Everything I just talked about, read to you, that was before. Knowing all these things, it's still challenging to trust in the Lord. Or you wouldn't have verse 25. For the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans, the, the Babylonians. So we understand that trusting in God requires more than what we can muster on our own. It actually requires supernatural power and influence. As we consider this, look in verse 17, or listen to verse 17. This is the beginning of the prayer. Ah, Lord God. So he prays unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made heaven and earth by thy great power and stretched out arm and there is nothing too hard for thee you show loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them the great the mighty god the lord of hosts is his name god jehovah sabaoth the manifestation of power he is great in counsel mighty in work for thine eyes are upon all to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. This is why Jeremiah also remembers God's character in his prayer. He's remembering what God has promised, the plans that he has made, but he also remembers who is the God that he is talking to. Who is the one that has thus saith the Lorded? Who is this one? And as he is expressing, ascribing words, for being the one all things were created by him and without him was not anything made that was made ascribing word to the one that has all power in heaven and earth ascribing word to the one who showed his mercy in leaving glory and laying aside his crown of glory and coming to this earth and living in a beautiful and perfect sinless life and dying a substitutionary death on the cross to pay for the sins of the world and expressing his mercy by laying down his life and making rescue and salvation available to us the God that is just the God that is great, the God that is mighty, the God that knows everything. So I don't have to. Even though I try to act like it sometimes. Ah. You know, I wake up every morning in desperate need of help. On August the 25th of 2006 at 6.59 p.m., I was in desperate need of help. And the amount of help that I need on this day is no different from the amount of help that I needed on that day. Because apart from him, I am nothing. 
So what we have here is this remembrance of who God is. And one of the things I love about this, he's, he's rattling off all these attributes of God, all these characteristics of God. And in verse 19, he says this, great and counsel and mighty in work for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men. This is one of those aspects of his greatness that is just precious to me. He knows the number of hairs on our head and on every head in this room and on every head of every every single person who has ever been. We can't fathom, we can't comprehend that kind of awareness and knowledge. He doesn't just know the number of hairs on our head. He knows every thought I've ever had, every struggle I've ever dealt with. Every challenge, every difficulty, every success that he has worked through his power in our lives. He knows it all completely and totally. There is this intimate, personal awareness that is expressed. And you know what that means? God cares about Jeremiah. He cares about, yes, he has this big job to prophesy to the people of Israel. Yes, all of those people are important. But he cares about Jeremiah personally. The same way he cares about you personally and me personally. He is personally interested. What makes us so awesome is this is the might, the greedy, the awesome, the creator, the one who stepped out on nothing and created everything. That same God loves you intimately, personally, and knows everything that needs to be known about you. So because of this, let me ask a question. He loves Jeremiah. Why doesn't he help Jeremiah in some different ways? I'm curious. I'll, I'll play this out for a second. Why didn't he help Jeremiah in some different ways? Jeremiah is in jail. You know, you, you would have thought that there would have been some immediate, maybe, words of comfort to Jeremiah, who has gone to prison for proclaiming the name of the Lord. Maybe a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something that he manifests there. But he gets this curious buy a field in eastern Ukraine. Buy a field in enemy-held territory. Go on a mission trip when you've never gone on a mission trip before. Go on the community outreach when you've never stepped in that direction before. And that thing is set in front of us. And we wonder, and we need to remember that one of the things that is said about God here is that He is great in counsel and mighty in works. He is a sovereign God. He is a God that has a plan in place. Remember what the plan was back in verse 15? For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. That's kind of a short-term plan. That's the, you know, the, it's a 70-year plan, but we'll say that's kind of the five-year version of the long-term plan right here. Houses and vineyards are going to be built again. Oh, I get a little emotional thinking about this. Because these are the people in Jerusalem, right? That's a familiar biblical city. And they were going to be given the opportunity 70 years from now, after Babylon came and destroyed this corrective judgment that is done in love to turn God's people back to him, they're going to be given the opportunity to come back. 
And when they come back, they're going to be given a chance to rebuild some things. They're actually going to be given a chance to rebuild the temple to the Almighty God that was destroyed. And a few hundred years after that, that temple that was rebuilt in that time, there's going to be a man that comes to that temple. That walks the courts of that temple. With a message about a kingdom that will last not only for a few years or for a period of time, but a kingdom that stands for all of eternity. Because Jesus Christ would come. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he, as we have said, would live that perfect life and he would teach and he would show mercy and he would show how just he was as 100% God and 100% man. He would show how all-powerful he was in his resurrection. The scripture tells us in abundance that all things were created by him and without him was not anything made that was made. He would show in all of these different ways that he was all-knowing. All those times that you read in the Gospels where someone is thinking within themselves and Jesus answered. You know why? Because he knows it all. God had a plan that went beyond the return to the city. God had a plan for the redemption of the world. And yes, that did involve these people. But his ultimate plan, the plan that's spoken about on every page of the Word of God, the grand story of redemption through Jesus Christ is the plan that he has for our rescue. Our salvation, our deliverance, not only from these temporary challenges that we encounter in this world, not only from these temporary impediments, but the deliverance from our sin that separates us from a holy God and the promise of eternity in his kingdom. Man, this is part of that plan. So this is the sovereign God. And when we talk about sovereignty, here's how I like to remember that. Simple way. God is in charge. God has a plan. It's a good plan. It's going to happen. He's in charge. He has a plan. It's a good plan. It's going to happen. So what's our responsibility? Get on board. Get on board with the plan of God. If I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, God sent His Son into this world to die on a cross to pay for my sins that separate me from a holy God that has loved me with an everlasting love. And He laid down His life on Calvary's hill and rose three days later so that I could turn from my sin and turn to a living God in faith and be rescued, saved, washed clean by His sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And as we have done that, as we have responded to Jesus Christ, God has a plan. And it's for the redemption of the world. And we need to, I understand I'm preaching to the choir right here. We need to get on board. Because that's why He saves us. That's why He redeems us. That's why He does what He does. And this final thought here, I've been told that Pastor Charlie preaches for at least an hour and 45 minutes. Was that right? <laughs> Finally, brethren, we need to remember God's work, and that is what Jeremiah does. Remember the works of God. Let me just kind of wrap this prayer up. You have set signs and wonders in verse 20 in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel among other, and among other men. 
You've made thee a name as it is at, as at this day. And has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt. You remember when the people were delivered from bondage in Egypt with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror, awesomeness, great power, and has given them this land which you did swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it. They obeyed not my voice, neither walked in my law. They have done nothing of all that I commanded them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts, they are come to the city. And it's talking about the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, surrounding the city. In verse 25, and you said to me, Lord, buy the field for money and take thee witnesses, for the city is given into the hands of of the Babylonians. You know, a big part of what Jeremiah is doing right here is he is recollecting. He's remembering. The Bible says remember so much. And he's remembering the works of God. He's remembering in times past where God had delivered. He's remembering in times past where, where a charge for some kind of action or an investment to be made was, was charged and all the pieces weren't in place yet but the people of God trusted in the Lord. He's remembering those times where God has been at work and the mighty works of God had fulfilled those plans. He said to the Israelites, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. And guess what? God delivered them from Egypt. I am come down, he said, to deliver you. You know, it's also always a healthy exercise when we're looking into the hazy horizon to remember what God has already done. To remember how God has already worked. Always a healthy exercise for us, whether we are a seasoned pastor, a seasoned servant of the Lord who has served the Lord for decades, whether we're just starting out on this journey and we can remember those initial times how God has shown us something, revealed something, worked in our lives. You know, I, I made a little quip about buying land in eastern Ukraine. You look at this field in Anathoth, this field that is held in enemy, held territory. And God had a plan for this field. Houses would be built on it again. Vineyards would be planted again in this field. I look at it. I've got a little small business back where we're from. I've been in that business for several years. I don't fancy myself some businessman, but I look at that and I'm kind of thinking sort of bad investment got the Babylonian army inhabiting this land. I told you I grew up in the Northeast. Some of you all from our area have heard this story. Summers we would go to the Jersey Shore, Wildwood. It's where we vacationed at the Jersey Shore. I remember I was about 19 years old. I didn't share with you that on August the 25th in 2006 when I got saved, I was in my 16th institution trying to get straightened up, trying to get clean. Well, back then, 19, 18 years old, I'm at the Jersey Shore. I'm on about a three-day binge, snorting coke, smoking crack, drinking. I wake up in this hotel room. I had no idea where I was. I was laying on glass. Look over, there's a coffee table next to where I am on the floor that didn't have the glass in the top of the coffee table, so I know where the glass came from. I saw some guy I didn't know It was in the kitchen rummaging around. I got up, I ran out the door, and I'm trying to get my bearings. I lost my people. I didn't know where I was staying. I didn't know where in Wildwood, New Jersey I was, so I head toward the coast. The sun was rising. 
and I felt like dirt. I get tired, I sit down on the front steps of this house, and it's a twin home. And is this rumpled heap strung out, sitting on the front steps of this house. Some people walk out one side of this house, a little group of young men, about my same age, but they looked a lot different than I did. They had smiles on their faces, and they were carrying coffee cups. They were wearing athletic gear. They were stretching and stuff, looked like they were getting ready to go for a run, and in fact they were. There was a group of young ladies that came out of the other house. And then I noticed they were wearing t-shirts, somewhat similar to many of the t-shirts that we see in this room. They had scripture on them and crosses on them and fishes on them. And just then one of the young men hollers down at me, he says, hey, are you all right? I couldn't think of anything else to say. I turned around and I looked up at him and I said, I'm so thirsty. Do you have any water? Man turns around, goes back into the house, comes out with a big McDonald's white tumbler cup, one of them big plastic <laughs> 83 ounce. Ice is hanging out the top of it. There's water sloshing down the side. And this man came all the way down to where I was. He didn't tell me to come up the steps and fetch it. He came all the way right to where I was. And he handed me that cup of water and he said, here you go. God bless you. We're getting ready to go for a run. You stay here just as long as you would like. Some might say that was a waste of time or a bad investment. 25 years later, I can still taste that cool glass of water. And I can still feel the grace that was extended to me resonating in my heart. Who here is from Friendship Baptist Church? Raise your hand real quick. Thank you, you can put your hands down. In August of 2006, I landed at Friendship Baptist Church right after I got saved. And these people, I got dropped off on the rehab bus. And they took me in and they invested in me. They showed me patience, they showed me grace, they showed me love of Jesus Christ. They taught me they allowed me to be a little bit nuts. <laughs> and they told me to keep coming back. Because God has a plan. Amen. All those things, those little things that get us kind of misty, when we think about how God has worked in our life, are really, really, really helpful when we're facing into the hazy horizon of today. Jeremiah was so intentional in this. He, he says, as unto this day, you brought us out of the land of Egypt. You made thee a name as it is at this day, as at this day. Acknowledging God's works of the past is one of the ways we are reminded that God is presently at work. Jeremiah says all this stuff because he is now the proud owner of a field in Anathoth. <laughs> and he doesn't understand, but he's trusting in the Lord because God has great plans. I want to ask you this morning, what's, what's your field? 
What's that thing that's in front of you that just isn't making a whole lot of sense right now? Maybe you're trying, maybe you've been striving, maybe you've been working hard to try to go and build your faith, yield yourself to God, do it all the right ways, all that, but something is just some, something is just landing like, what in the world? Man, I, I hope this word has been an encouragement to you. I hope that it has. I just want